0: Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode number 153 of Shut Up and Grind with your host, yours truly, Robert B. Buster So today we're going to be talking about how to make your midlife your best life. And yes, I happen to be in that midlife demographic, so we're going to have a nice conversation about that. We're going to talk about your personalities. We're going to talk about life in general. We're going to make you laugh. We might shock you a little. We're going to motivate you. We're going to inspire you and i will hang out for the entire hour if you can if you're joining me over on youtube please subscribe to the channel if you're on facebook please like and share because we're going to be dropping great knowledge so don't keep it to yourself share the love and if you're brand new and you have no clue who the hell i am this is me starts with clarity of vision if you don't have the clarity of vision whatever next thing you get you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision so the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again and all that stuff i was like you know what like i want to be able to take this even bigger if you know why you do what you do, you have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life, and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. you got to know your work. All right, so before I bring on my guest, we dive into today's topic. I got to give you your teachable moment of the day. And that moment today is going to be a need for you to define yourself. Okay, Stop letting society define you. Stop letting your friends define you. Stop letting your family define you. Stop letting your spouse define you. You have to know who you are. You have to know what mark you want to leave on this world. You have to know what you want your legacy to become. And that's not up to anyone else. That's up to you. Because one thing I'm finding out in helping people create their stories, a lot of people are attached to a job. They're attached to a person. And there's they don't have any attachment with themselves. And that's one of the biggest things that I'm seeing coming out of helping people craft their stories is that they're really discovering that they have a lot of hidden power that they never knew that they had. And that's because we're latching on to societal norms and what other people want us to be and how they want us to think feel and react but that's not the way that's not the way, way to live you have to be your authentic self so that's what i want to leave you with with today's teachable moment is work on defining yourself and if you need help with that reach out cuz that's kind of what i do all right so now diving into our main topic who is my guest she is an abstract artist She's a best-selling author, or oh, author, you catch that. Say this is why people edit, right? Because they get that right out. Best-selling author, a color code trainer, which we'll dive into that one, and a speaker with a passion for understanding our creative potential and motivations. Her art has been featured in numerous gallery shows and on the set of Orange is the New Black. That's awesome. Before she left to pursue other artistic pursuits, she spent 23 years as an assistant professor of theater and playwright. Before she went off to do her own thing, and now she is a guest on Shut Up and Grind. Welcome, Susan. Oh wait, egg, I gotta say, and she understands the value of the middle initial. So bring on Susan D. Sharp.
1: <laughs> well, the middle initial is where it's at.
0: It, it has to be because I, I read on your your website why you do it. Saint Lady Robert Foster is a very common name. I think it, I'm in Rhode Island, and Providence alone there's 26 Robert Fosters.
1: Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I can't believe how many Susan sharps are artists. So it had, I had to have the initial.
0: Absolutely. That's right. See, you got to copy. your stamp. That's awesome. So where are you joining us from?
1: I'm in central Illinois.
0: Central Illinois. Okay. Yes,
1: yeah, so I'm about an hour from the Iowa border, um, okay. about an hour from Peoria, which a lot of people know where Peoria is at. So
0: yes. All right. So I saw on your site that you were born and raised in Iowa.
1: I was uh, very much rural area, right next to my grandfather's farm. Uh, had a had a creek and sort of a, a mini forest on the other side. So <laughs> rural rural Iowa was, was home.
0: Okay. And uh, what what part of Iowa is that on? Like it's, east
1: west? Um, Yeah, it's in eastern Iowa. It's right on the Mississippi River. Okay. There's so a you- there's a bump. There's a bump on that curves out in Iowa towards the east, and I'm on the bump,
0: <laughs> <laughs> like on the border there, where it's all like kind of jagged. Yeah. That okay. <laughs> I got it. All right. So, what was it like growing up there?
1: Well, it was. I think the foundation of my creativity, really. I look back, and you know, we. I remember we had three black and white channels. Um, so TV wasn't a, a huge deal and it forced us to be outside. It forced us to be creative and to make something out of nothing. I remember clearly, uh, having mom's old aluminum pie tins and getting the really fine silty, um, uh, clay from the bottom of the creek and making mud pies on dad's ladder like they were a <laughs> makeshift oven baking them in the sun and, and we created our own play because there wasn't, other than board games um, we didn't have video games we didn't, TV wasn't big Pre, pre-technology, I'm dating myself but um, <laughs> it, uh, it, it was a great playground great training ground for creativity
0: yeah, I think a, a a lot of people with with rural upbringings tend to have that because I also grew up in the woods.
1: Okay. And
0: you know, like we had we had pigs, we had chickens, we had a bunch bunch of well, we had one cat. We took in a stray cat, and then they had a litter of like like eight, I want to say. So so we had cats sure. everywhere. We had dogs. You know, just uh, maybe like acre and a half of land, I want to say. And then same thing. Uh, you know, because I'm in that I'm in that same age bracket, so we were constantly just making up games, and we were always outside. Like we we never wanted to be inside, because again, I think we got an Atari at some point and a Commodore sixty four computer, but you really couldn't do much on it. Remember when the disk used to be like this big? Yeah, <laughs> to go yeah. in. So <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right, so let's get to know more about about you. So how would you how would you describe yourself if I say who is Susan?
1: I would humbly say that I'm a creative genius <laughs> um, you know i I dabble in so Well, I don't dabble i'm I'm serious about uh so many different creative pursuits and uh more importantly, I think I do them all because I see how they play off of each other how um work in one field sort of strengthens my work in another field I think my um my start in theater influenced my art because I tend to think big, so I, I like to create large art because I sort of think in terms of the 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 uh, width, breadth, length of a stage. So in my mind, I'm designing for larger spaces, um, and my work in theater influenced my. My voiceover work and my work in theater influenced my playwriting. And and so I, I think it's all sort of interwoven, but um, I, I think that's who I am at my in my essence.
0: Okay, and what did you see yourself doing as a career when you were a child?
1: That's a phenomenal question. And I think it goes to our age group, which is, I think we got told in our age bracket, you can do anything you want to do. And I believe that to a certain extent, but I believe what may be the step that's missed is that you really need to take an inventory. God gave us particular gifts yes. and I can't be everything I, I have to choose. But I think our age group, we went through those. You know, we probably sat at a very early computer in college going through, and not even a real computer, but more of a database, and we did our career inventories, and it spit out the five jobs you're probably best at. And we took one of them because we were not we were told you could be anything, but we still had this framework of anything that society has already identified and created. We weren't really given the message, create your own path trailblazer entrepreneurship. That was not a message, at least that I got. Yeah. And so I went through the, probably the first, you know, I went through college and grad school, undoubtedly, still thinking I need to fit within a particular career that's already out there. Even though in my heart of hearts, I knew it wasn't out there yet. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I think the answer to your question is that, um, Early on, I thought I wanted to be a high school music teacher because that's a very safe, tangible, relatable box, right? Oh, yeah. we, we can figure out the salary. We can figure out what that life is going to look like. And so I think that's the, the path I pressed on. But soon I found out that, well, all the music majors were very stressed and all the theater kids were having a great time. So I switched my major to theater. Uh, could still <laughs> do music because musicals existed. Um, but even there, I knew that wasn't the lane. It was just the lane that I chose at the moment. Now my career in theater served me very well, but your, your question sort of gets to that idea of what did we think we wanted to be and where did we end up? And, you know, we often find that they're vastly different than that original idea.
0: <laughs> it's, it's true. Like I'm, I'm finding in my travels – that they're a little more aligned than people think, and I think as we get further into our com- conversation, maybe like forty minutes from now, we'll be able to connect the two because I do it almost every single show because uh, <laughs> I've, I've gotten good at asking the asking the right questions, yeah, to, to piece it together. And with my opening speech, I tailored that that um, that they call it, my uh, teachable moment of the day, like I tailored that based on what we were gonna be talking about you know because you you said it you like you you hit the nail on the head so we're told in school you know to prepare for jobs that are already out there because people are needed in the workforce mm-hmm. so if you have everybody trailblazing their own path then the workforce is going to suffer which that's a god awful reasoning yeah. <laughs> you know because yeah i was going to be speaking this is right right before covid I was going to be speaking. Well, I was in talks to speak at a career and te- technical school here in Rhode Island, and so as we're talking back and forth, I told her, you know, I'll be talking about X, Y, Z, and I'll, you know, teach kids how they can make money with their smartphones. And she's like, "Oh, we don't, we don't want to cover cover that." She's like, "You know, our goal is to prepare them for further education and then eventually join the workforce." I said, "I get that." But they should know that there's another option. Like, like this doesn't have to stop what they're doing. This can enhance what they're doing. You know, like, if someone wants to be a mechanic, they can start a YouTube channel with ho- how-to videos as well. And now they have two streams of income. Like, what is wrong with telling that to, to with the kids? And she was hell-bent help that she's like, no, we don't want that message. So I didn't take the speaking job. I was like, because I can't. Like, I can't align with that way of thinking. It's like, these kids should know that there's another option, you know? So everybody suffers with that.
1: Yeah, it's, I I do think it's a dangerous message. I I think maybe teaching (laughs) teaching kids that they can do anything they want is also dangerous without, you know, really taking stock of how you're gifted. And I think that step, that step of really, you know, as a spiritual person, I, I see everything from God, um, as from God. And so I feel like, you know, he's gifted each of us with very specific gifts. And I think it's sort of criminal that we don't, that we don't, that that's not a part of the, the conversation somewhere in youth that, yeah, you could do everything, but what are you really good at? And yes. and further the idea of of that emotional intelligence kind of aspect um of of upbringing it to 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 teach kids critical thinking to be able to to analyze well what are they good at and, and how do we determine what we're good at? Well, what do we like to do? What do what do you get praise at? Those sorts of things. I, I think that's unfortunate. That's that's not more of the part of the conversation for youth.
0: Exactly, exactly. And when, when I get back into the the speaking swing of things, I cover that stuff in my in my talks because okay. I know I know it's missing like i was at a speaking speaking one this was again tail end of 2019 and we're in we're in this cafeteria with the behavioral kids and i'm listening to the other speakers i'm watching the kids watching how they're taking in info and fortunately i spoke last so i got to watch everyone else and so it's my turn and i say to the director i was like can i take this in a different direction and she's like yeah but by, by all means and I brought all the kids into one table because they were kind of spread out. And I did it in, in a motivational fashion, but I lashed them. <laughs> I was like, I completely gave them a dose of what they needed to hear. Yeah. And then e- even the other speakers were like, wow, you know, I was like, that's what they need. Like, they don't need the sugar coated stuff that you guys are giving them. It was like, they, they have to know that, th- that they're here for a reason. You know, like we are here for a reason pouring into them and we have to help them receive that message. I was like, yeah. when everybody else was was talking, they were talking amongst themselves. They were not paying attention. Some of them were on their phones. And I was like, uh-uh, everybody in here, we gotta focus on something here. And then I just went went, went to town. It's like, that's what's missing with these kids nowadays.
1: Yeah, I saw the same thing in higher education. Um, and it, it became a lot about, um, needing to do a different paradigm with, uh, and, and truthfully, there were times that I, I, I failed to reach uh, millennials. I just failed. I I needed to adapt my own thinking and, and, and uh, meet them where they were at instead of my model of what, of what, you know, because really I think a lot of times we teach from the standpoint of what we need. Yeah. And uh, that, 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 it doesn't work with millennials too much
0: no mm. uh, I yeah I agree with that I mean people people teach how how they're taught it's like people who who were raised by abusive parents turn out to be an abusive parent like that just kind of how, how that is like I was raised by a marine who had who had some PTSD from Vietnam so he was he was firm he was firm and and i'm I'm old school I mean I'm getting older now so I'm softening a little little bit but like you know in my late late 20s and into, into my 30s like I had that same strict, you don't talk back to me, you know, you don't, it's like, no, no C's are not acceptable. It's like, you don't have to get straight A's, by I'm not accepting a C, and, and that's just the, the expectation that is set. But just now, with everything is like about feelings and emotions now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but at the same token, you know, we got to teach these kids how to cope as well. <laughs> you know, so, so, so now you get everything laid out. But then you hit some adversity and they don't
1: know how to handle it yeah it's 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 a much different world I'm not sure I'd want to be a young person growing up yeah. today um, I think we, you and I had benefits of maybe clearer boundaries or clearer expectations and frankly less options and I don't think less options <laughs> is necessarily bad yeah I do. Uh, I think being overwhelmed with the enormity of options is actually sort of paralyzing and fearful for some young people.
0: Well, and with social media and so easily you can be up in everybody's business. Like oh, I, yeah. I, was, I was walking with my daughter the other day and I told her, I was, I was like, uh, she picked up her phone and she was like, oh, so-and-so hasn't responded back to me yet. I texted them nine minutes ago. and I was, And I was like, we used to have to run to the phone (laughs) right when it rang it was on the wall we just had to run to it and if we didn't catch it in time we didn't even know who called us and and then so the phone would ring later and we go hey did you call me about an hour ago no and we still had no idea who it was or you would leave a voicemail and then you'd have to wait all day to get a call back (laughs) you know and that's just not not the case anymore
1: yeah, there was no Star sixty nine.
0: Nope. Uh, and,
1: and growing up, we had we had a party line till I was probably in high school. We had a party line with the neighbor next door. So and the kids don't even know what that is. I I'm really dating myself with this conversation.
0: <laughs> remember, remember when when the pagers first came out. Oh, yeah. Because it was like only the doctors had, and the doctors and the drug dealers. So, so, so <laughs> right. it was like, if you were a pager, you were one of those, you were just some type of big deal. <laughs> oh, the good old days. Yes. <laughs> All yeah. right, so let's talk about, about color coding. Like, take take me through what sure. that is.
1: Color code is the theory of Dr. Taylor Hartman that um, in his research, he found that people had core core. Uh, motivating factors. And so like Myers-Briggs, like, like list and disc and all of these other kinds of uh, personality inventory assessments, um, color code is in that family. The only difference is that this inventory, rather than being, rather than answering a survey of questions about how you are now, this assessment tries to get at how you were from your very earliest childhood memories. In other words, his theory is rooted in how we were born, how we were, how we, how we were sort of wired from, from infancy and uh, rather than it being in behaviors because behaviors change moment to moment. And um, so I, I got into this because I really feel like I didn't handle conflict so well in my early career. Mm -hmm. And because I really realized that conflict resolution, conflict management, um, that really isn't taught anywhere. And how do you learn that, but by to be in conflict. And for those of us that don't really like conflict, it's sort of an icky, scary, emotional world. And we want to run, fleeing like the house is on fire. And so how do you deal with all of the emotional aspects of the of conflict is um, because men and women deal with it very differently. Yes. Um, and men can sometimes be too aggressive and women can be too passive. Of course, it goes for both genders. But the, the idea is that we, we definitely fall into stereotypes. And I got the message very early on, like you, don't talk back. Well, I I adopted that even in conflict. Okay, I'll just be a fly on the wall, a mouse, until that anger wells up in you and you realize, I do have a voice. Why am I not speaking up for myself? But then it's in anger because you're sort of angry at yourself and then it comes out way too far on the other side. And so learning how to deal with conflict, um, I think is an important thing and I wasn't doing it well
0: yeah then
1: and so i think personality is also a big part of conflict and when you know you have a voice but you have been trained not to speak it or you have been trained that whatever you say is is not valuable um then you you when you do finally get the courage to speak you're not very confident in it and maybe you're not even very good at it and so I felt it was imperative to learn who, how I'm wired, and furthermore to sort of accept who I am, even whatever it is that I find out, whether I like it or not. And yes. so color code teaches that you know there are strengths and challenges to every personality type, and uh, the the most important thing is that we take 100% responsibility for who we are and excuse me, and how we, how we communicate. Um, It doesn't say, well, you can't be a a free spirit. You can't be this, or you can't be that. It, it, It just simply says, if you're going to be that, then make responsible choices within that. And so I got really excited about the book, and then I did the training. And then I thought, well, this is so exciting. I've got to teach this. So it becomes a tool really for further conversations. Uh, I've done this workshop with with small business owners. I've done it with church volunteers. I've done it with fellow artists. And the, the message is the same, even though the group is different.
0: Love it. Yeah, so very, very similar. As I told you when we were off air, that I, I'm a facilitator in True Colors, which is sim- similar. You no, know, mm-hmm. it just instead of you know how DISC uses the DISC, this just uses four, four colors: it's gold, blue, orange, and green. And going through that, see, so uh, l- let me backtrack into my younger, more feisty days, you know, because and I said you know people operate the way they they were raised you know like my father was very strong he was very stoic like and you didn't you didn't mess with him you just didn't <laughs> and, and so i became a manager young in life so like i learned leadership skills i learned responsibility but just people a lot of people hated because i was so young like i was a general manager at 19 and so i'm working with people 30 40 50 you know 60 years, years old i remember my my prep cook told me one day he's cutting carrots and he kept, kept taking the knife off the cutting board. And that's like cutting one-on-one, you know, you keep the tip of the knife on the cutting board. Mm -hmm. So I go over to show him and he's like, I've spent more time on the toilet than you've spent in the kitchen. (laughs) You know, but just dealing with stuff like that. So to overcome it, I just thought I had to be louder. You know, I had to be louder to let these people know I mean business. And then, so we fast forward, I'm 24 now. And I'm having a meeting with my boss. And he sits down and he just starts, you know, you know, they have to do the sandwich theory. So he's telling me all, all the good stuff, all the good stuff. So, and I'm soaking it all in because I'm 24, I'm cocky, and I'm just taking soaking it all the good stuff. And then here comes the slap, where basically he was just telling me like you need to learn how to talk to people. He's like, that's going to completely stunt your growth because you just can't steamroll people. <laughs> it's just like it doesn't work that way. And so now, we'll fast forward to 2007. I'm working at a casino and I I get selected out of 2,500 employees. They selected 25 of us to go through this human dynamics training and true colors was, was a part of it, but it was all about service. But that true colors part really opened up my eyes to just how differently people react to things. And it's like you, it's like you know everyone's different, but you don't really get it till you're in it and you actually see it. And I was like, oh, that's like so and so. oh, that's like me. <laughs> and like that's like so and so, that's like so and so. And it teaches you how to interact with that person from their perspective. like and, and throughout life, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, is we try to interact with people through our perspective.
1: Yeah, that that's, that's well said. And I, I think that the what we what we get when we discover these other personality types and how they're wired is I think the natural outcome of that is compassion. Like uh, we use four colors also. And so reds are leaders. And so when you learn all about the red personality, and you just realize that when they see a problem, they go into solve mode. They go into yeah. action. They start organizing people because that's how they're wired. Yeah. They're yeah. not. They're not just taking over. It's their God-given instinct to to take charge. That's how they're wired. And so, compassion is is a result of that. And and I think that's what's missing. You can talk about Myers Briggs all day, but it doesn't teach you about the other personalities. Yes. It just teaches you about yours. I mean, and, yeah. And further, that's based on, you know, you can take that test 10 times at 10 different parts of your life, and you're going to get a different four-letter designation. Whereas I think the, the training we've been through is a little bit more about um, our innate core motivations.
0: Yeah, love it. And so you, you've been teaching that for how long?
1: Um 26, 2016. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it, it ends up being a little part of everything I do, whether I'm actually teaching the curriculum or not, but, um, you know, it's, a lot of times that's how people find me to speak is they find me on the color code website and, uh, ask me to come to their organization. Uh, but, but it's just one of the many things that I speak about, but I certainly think it influences a lot of everything I do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's huge. I mean, even a lot of the speeches that, that I give, I may not directly mention it, but a lot of those, those teachings that I, that I put out come from going through that training and from that yeah. program. Cause, cause it's huge. Like, especially when, when couples fight, you know, cause like in my, mm-hmm. in my gym, you know, my gym, I have 95% women on my clients and okay. you know, like I'll, and I'll hear them complaining about, about their husbands or whatever. And, and I'm like, can I like, Try this. Just say this sentence, and see see what happens. You wow. know, so, so so they go, they do. It's so like oh my god, like that works like a charm. You know, wow. And I said no because he's this type. You got to come at him from this angle. Right. It's like if you come at him from this angle, that's why he's fighting back because that's one of his stressors. Right. You have to yeah. go to the things that that he uh, I don't remember the other word, but the things that he gravitates to it's like you know you have you have to go that direction because if you come at him this way he's coming back at you and then this fight's never going to end <laughs> you know so so it's like do do you want to be right or do you want the conflict to end yeah <laughs> you know yeah. That's, that's that's where you have to weigh, weigh the odds in conflict resolution because so many times people will end end friendships i mean people kill to trying to be right yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. and i used to be that guy don't get me wrong. But 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 like now, I mean, if I if I know straight up I'm right, I'll just stop fighting. I'll Like there's there's no reason
1: right to keep to keep
0: this going. Like it's over. Like we obviously disagree, so I'm walking away. Right. You know, and that's part part of a of a coping skill too that is lacking nowadays because people feel the need to just fight to the death.
1: Yeah, I think being right is really overrated. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because um, you can be right or you can be relational. And I think really we would, at the end of the day, choose to be relational. And so many things can can exist fully up here, but I don't need to ever say them, you know.
0: Yes, exactly. We don't, we don't
1: need to talk about politics. We don't need to talk about a lot of different things, yeah. Um, yeah. even religion. We don't need to talk about that because my politics and my spirituality don't depend on anybody else's input, you know. Yes.
0: So, I love it. Yeah. So like we were talking earlier about, you know, conflict resolution. And so I have another show that I do, which is more of the the stuff that you just said, you don't talk about, <laughs> you know, so we'll, you know, we'll talk about political stuff. We'll talk about, you know, just controversial topics, mm-hmm. but, but like I do it in a, in a rational ma- manner. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's not, you know, you see some debate shows and people just screaming over each other the entire, like, we don't, we don't do that. It's like, if I'm speaking, I'm speaking, you're speaking, you're speaking, whoever else and, and I tell, I tell the people when they come on up front, I was like, state your, your position and stick to your position. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, your job is not to poke holes in my in my position. I said that's where these shows go wrong. I said and so by, by the end of this, I want to understand your position. I want you to understand my position. Like the idea isn't for me to tell you that you're wrong. Like, yeah. I just want to know why you think the way you think. Right. And then we can coexist and move on, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But, but yeah. Just so, some of these things get so ugly. So so where I was going with this, so my daughter, you know, she, she kind of gets shy, you know, in the beginning. So I brought her, her on. She's 19. So I brought her on. She's been doing the shows with me. And so we had a guest on. This was uh, a few few days ago. So we had someone watching who asked her, asked her a question. And we were talking about about uh race like race and just being who you are and accepting who you are now I'm half black half Puerto Rican and mm-hmm. my my kids are white black and Puerto Rican <laughs> so we were talking about her being she, well she, she was talking about being a, mo- a multi-racial child that sometimes she gets confused on mm-hmm. like what side she's on and then someone's asked her a couple questions and, you know she started crying and And so I I give her credit for not leaving the show because I was waiting for her to shut her camera off, (laughs) but she didn't. So she stayed on, you know, even through all of the emotions and she ended up getting through it all. And so, and then even as her dad, you know, I didn't berate the person who asked the question because I told her, because in life, especially if you're going to keep doing this show with me and we're going to talk about topics like this, people are going to ask questions. Right. It's like, so you have to be prepared to answer those questions. Cause at, at one point my, my sister had jumped on and started getting on my case cause she was on the other side of the topic we, we were discussing. And I said, don't tell me I'm wrong because you have a different belief. It's like your, right. lived, your lived experience is valid, but so is mine. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't discount mine because you, you went through other stuff, you know, like that doesn't change right. my lived experience. You know?
1: Yes, it's it's always been interesting to me why um, people feel so threatened by opposing viewpoints. Yes, um, and I think really the heart of all of that is fear. I think at the at the at the base of all conflict, I really think is fear. Mm-hmm. I would say the same for anger as well think the root of all anger is really fear. You're, you're going to somehow impact or change my world in a way I don't like. So I'm going to fight back, put up walls, leave, whatever. But all of that stems from the fear. And so I think we have to embrace the fear. But again, life hasn't really taught us to do that. I think that was part of the, the focus of my book was facing my own fears heading into midlife. Yeah, uh, because I, I felt like life didn't life didn't ever really teach me how to deal with that. In fact, I think life taught me to run from my fears rather than to face them. So um, it's uh, I think I think I learned it th- uh, very organically, but I learned it way late. I wish I wish other people would learn it much earlier than I did.
0: Yes. Yeah, one of those things that that's how unfortunately that's how we're controlled. You know, we're controlled in fear like yeah. at, at work you don't do certain things because you might get fired in school right. you don't do certain things because you might get suspended you know so like our our whole being is based on fear and it's just it's just how we're naturally wired so and people, it's, not people a pure,
1: have, it's not a pure motivator. Fear is not, it's, it's, it's a very um, ugly motivator. Now, sometimes it works. We go to the doctor. We don't like numbers, whatever we're (laughs) feared into the diet or exercise or whatever that we have been, we have been uh, dreading, but it it can motivate, but it's not a pure motivator. I don't think it's the motivator that lasts. Yeah, I
0: agree. I agree. We were, (laughs) I did an obstacle race a couple weeks ago. We were down in New Jersey. And we saw a big black bear in the woods. (laughs) And, you know, like, in that instance, it was like, okay, like, fear, definitely, definitely gets consumed, even though they're just as afraid of us as we are of them. But still, but just that, that initial, like, one of my teammates practically jumped in my shirt. I was was like, it's okay, like, just stand, like, just don't move, don't move. And they ran ran off in the woods, but just still, (laughs) just for that split second, though, I was like, wow. You know, so I understand that. All right. So you said red is what one of the colors.
1: Can you share the other three? Yeah. So red, uh, the the people that test into the red category are natural born leaders, action takers. That uh, whites are peacemakers. Uh, you said white. White, white. The color white represents yep. the peacemaker. peacemaker. Okay. Yeah. Blues are uh, they. Their pure motivator is intimacy. They want intimacy in relationships a blue will be your best friend ever. Yeah. Um, and yellows are motivated by fun. If it isn't fun, they don't really want anything to do with it. Now, most people that take the assessment actually test, you know, in a, they have a, a, a primary color and yeah. uh, maybe they test into all four categories. I am almost equally all four which well, could explain some of my, um, uh, inner conflict, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, most people have a dominant color. I'm a blue, uh, and then my dominant and then my subdominant colors are yellow, then red, then white. So, um, but to just know sort of how you're wired and uh, I think is, is the key point of that. And, and, um, it, it the combination will be completely unique for every person i've never done one yet where i had the same identical percentages in in the in the dominant and subdominant groups for any okay. one person so
0: that wow. says something yeah so just looking at that i would say for myself i, I would be a a red a red yellow yellow yeah. for my one, one two because yeah. like when when I'm at because I like to have have as much fun like I tell my kids all, all the time I said to me my definition of, of maturity is to have as much fun as humanly possible, but know when to be serious yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so that's my thing but as, as a leader, I'm that person when stuff hits stuff hits the, the fan we we spring right into action yeah you know, don't don't waste time trying to figure out the why's and the hows I'm like, we just got to get it fixed yeah' like <laughs> you know, so yeah. fixed so but then just outside of that, I just want fun. I just want fun. I want I want good good music. I want a daydream because I'm a visionary. And that's just that's what makes me smile, you know, doing that stuff. So if someone wanted to take this test with you, how, how do they go about it?
1: Uh, if you go to my website, a sharpdifference.com. Check you- it out. Boom. <laughs> oh, you're good. <laughs> you're good there is a color code tab somewhere at the top it might be in the drop down menu I've, I've done some changes recently but you can find the color code tab um or just email me susan at a sharp difference dot com and we'll hook you up with the assessment
0: right. awesome Love it. yeah because i'd be i'd be curious to see how how different that 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 one is from from the true colors model yeah. curious so all right so let's talk about your artwork so how sure. did
1: you get into all that? Well, it's funny. I've always had artistic uh, flair. Of uh, arts crafts were always a part of growing up. Again, we didn't have a lot, but we had coloring books. We had we had glue and construction paper. And my mom was crafty, mm-hmm. and my grandmother was a beautiful seamstress. So um, I, I sort of grew up around that that arts and crafts kind of stuff, and. So I think it started there but really truthfully I my my one of my dear friends was getting married and I really knew they were buying a house and I wanted to get them a piece of artwork and so I went online to look at artwork now this is when I'm like 30 and um and I was just shocked at what they got for some of these paintings some of these mixed media artworks and I thought and I said to myself it's funny it's funny how we have this confidence that's within us. I said, without one iota of art training, I could do that. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And it was what I produced was really pretty good. I'd sell it today. Now it was 20 some years ago, but, um, so that's sort of how I got into art. And then I was creating these things sort of as experiments, like, well, what can I do? And what happens when you put this material with this material? And suddenly I've got a room full of art. And so I started to sell them at different boutiques. And, and then eventually Etsy came into uh, being. And then eventually I got my own white website, which you have up right now. And, and now, I do, um, now I'm doing just pretty much uh, custom work. And then um, I've discovered the wonderful world of digital prints. And so now I digitally manipulate the the artwork that I've done years ago. And I can digitally manipulate it, change the color, um, change all sorts of things. There you go. So if you click on, like, best sellers, you'll you'll see a whole world of art. But, yeah. And and so um, really since about 2002 is when I sort of got serious about my art. And um, there's a lot more on my Etsy site, but this site is still developing. But it's where you have the most options. If you want that piece of art on wood or on metal or um, whatever, you can you can do so many different things uh, nowadays with digital printing. So uh, and uh, eventually the result of that was that I started to get some gallery shows, and then I had a a, a, a Booth within a within a gallery, sort of a, a long-standing display within a gallery, and um, and then I got the Orange Is the New Black gig, which was a game changer for me, just in terms of exposure. Hey, oh, All let's talk about that. How did how did you get that? I uh, I would love to say it was some highfaluting uh, uh, <laughs> backdoor deal, or I I knew some people. Really, he. He, he the uh, set director found me on Etsy, and okay. um, and we had a conversation about you know could I get him this at, in this particular time frame and I'm like of course, and um, so it was really neat to see my my work on the set. I should have sent you a picture of mm. uh, my uh, my work on the set. It's in in the end of season seven at way at the back of the. Behind Piper as she's sitting on the couch in one mm-hmm. of the final scenes of the show, um, it's hanging over the couch. And then they bought—they bought actually from both of my Etsy shops, which is nice. Um, and uh, so there, there were things that they bought that I could never find in the show. And then they, I, I did see the other piece, that the other art piece that they bought. But it—it um, it ended up—it it just ended up to be a. Um, it got me exposure is really what it got. It, 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 um, people don't look at that scene and probably remember my artwork, but I have the photographic evidence. It's a, it's a level of credibility, you know? And, um, and I think that it, it boosted my confidence. I already felt like I was doing good work, but it certainly didn't hurt sales. And, um, it, at the end of the day it it didn't do a lot for me financially but it was an important step for me internally to have that um that recognition
0: love it that's awesome all right so from from there so now you said that you spent 23 years in theater right Mm -hmm. all right and then so so what what when was the moment where you knew that you wanted to pivot into something, something different?
1: Well, truthfully, I stayed in that career probably five to ten years longer than I should have. It's a it's a highly interpersonal career, and as an uh, I am an introvert, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> but as a true introvert, you know, people can suck our energy, and so when you work fifteen hours a day. And you're doing something so in, interpersonally exhausting, it takes its toll. And so I was really burnt out because I, I entered the world of uh, being a professor really under some interesting conditions in which I was building a program from the ground up. And I was, that was intense work, it was a labor of love. But I, in five years, I probably did the work of 10 years. And it was it. It took a toll on me. Um, it was hard to have any relationships. It was hard to have any work life balance. I didn't even sleep well. And so that five years transitioned into I need to make a career change in a in a state where I get more pay and a little more life work balance. Well, I came to Illinois. That didn't that life work balance did not materialize. And so about five years into my new job as a theater professor. Um, having left the old job as a theater professor, I knew I was burnt out. But I was so young still in my head I said to myself, well you can't be burnt out. You're too young. You know? That's that's a lie we tell ourselves too. But yes. anyway, I was I had turned 50 and I said, I can't do this anymore. I I owe it to myself to do something different and I knew I wanted to write books. And so I sort of left, I wouldn't advise anyone to do this, but I sort of left without a great financial plan in place because I was too tired to create one. You know, I was too burned out, you know. so the, So I tell people, if you think you're approaching burnout, deal with it right now because you won't have the mental energy to deal with it if you wait. And the fact that the World Health Organization now recognizes it as a medical condition tells us how widespread this issue is. And so I just knew I needed to leave. Um, I was in a I never really felt like I was at home in this college. I did some great work there, but truthfully, it was never a good fit. And I should have left earlier, but I waited and I just had so much internal conflict with staying. And, you know, the, the, when the pain of, of staying becomes worse than the pain of facing the unknown, you finally make change.
0: Yes. And
1: the unknown was, I welcomed it. It was scary as hell, but I welcomed it because at least it was different than the mundane things I had become accustomed to. And so the, the pain, wh- wherever your pain point is, um, that's where you usually end up making a phenomenal decision, one way or the other. And it was a phenomenal in that I, I left with no real plan. And other than I knew the creative work I wanted to do, and I knew I needed mental rest, physical rest, and a spiritual you know reboot. And so I took those two years to really do that. And in those two years, I wrote three books, contributed to other three to three others, um, did a lot with my art, my speaking, and then of course COVID hit. About six months uh, six months into my two years away, COVID hit, and uh, no one, no, none of us could have predicted that. And I don't really beat myself up for you know I couldn't have predicted that. Again, I wasn't really financially ready. And COVID certainly decimated my business on some level, but it's getting back there. Speaking gigs are opening back up, and yeah. um, but I think the spiritual the spiritual journey of having to trust, you know, that that now I can't control anything. I don't have the income coming in that I used to. I don't have the retirement, the stuff going into my retirement that I used to. Uh, Now I don't even have speaking gigs and book signings because they're closed down. And uh, God used it to just say, okay, Susan, are you going to trust me? Are you you going to relinquish some of that perfectionism, some of that control? Um, And I I actually think it was the best thing ever, um, even though it was some scary times. I just
0: want, want to double down on that because I feel that holds back so many people. See, I'm not one of them because my standards aren't that high. It's like <laughs> I, I just I just get started and then I make adjustments along the way. Like when I started my fitness business, business I started in the spare bedroom of my house. I had, know. My marketing was so tight that I got women to come to the spare bedroom in my house to train. Wow. <laughs> you know, so I started there, then I moved to the garage, then I moved to the park across the street, and then you know, I built up a clientele, and then I went and got a place to train them, you know, so it's like, in even my garage, it wasn't one of these nice, well-done garages, like it was kind of beat up, the doors creaked, <laughs> it was, yep. um, you know, it was dusty in there. I, I did have a heater in there, though, but but like it, it wasn't, and this is what was in Planet Fitness was popping up all over the place. So you got these brand new gyms, $10 a month, and people were still coming to me, paying me five times. And even then, I didn't realize I was grossly undercharging myself. But just the point of this is, it's just a double down on what, what you said is for people listening, stop trying to be perfect, just get it done get yeah. it done, you can always upgrade, always. Last thing you want is to have a million-dollar facility with no clients or customers. <laughs> That's the last thing you want. Just get started, build a base, and then adapt as you grow.
1: Well, I love that story because you're illustrating perfectly my, my, my earlier point, which is that what you were doing was you were building relationships. You weren't building yes, yes. a brick-and-mortar Yes. and and so they they tracked with you they kept with you because you did something for them relationally that they weren't getting anywhere and that they were never going to get a planet fitness let's face it um, exactly no dig to planet fitness but um, uh, and so and I think that's exactly right if you wait till everything's perfect, you will never do anything
0: yeah that and it's never going to be perfect never because right, right when you get it perfect something changes. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's just the reality of it. Like the way, the way I train my clients now is not the same way as when I started in 2009. You know, like right. things, things change, science changes, you know, there's new breakthroughs, there's different supplements and medicines and creams and different diet plans you know? and whatever else, you know? So as things adapt, you know, you can adapt. So it's never going to be a hundred percent. This is what it is. Like you you yeah. even see it with huge corporations, you know, like, like 10 years ago, they thought one thing this nowadays, you know, things change. Like there's people <laughs> who, who are still not on social media. I'm like, like small businesses, like, what is your problem? Like, it, it, it's not going away. If, if Facebook was a country, it would be the biggest.
1: Right.
0: I right. was <laughs> you know? like, everybody is on it. It's like you, you just have to be on it. You know, because almost everybody has one one of these Almost everybody yep. does. And it's like, you know, you got to get, get yourself on there. But let's talk quickly about about your, your book. Mm-hmm. With, with, was it the midlife one?
1: Yeah, Midlife Wisdom. That's uh, it. I, I wrote it because I really felt like it was the book that I needed to read, but I, I wasn't finding it on the shelves that at the time that I wrote it, there was a lot less about midlife than there is now, but almost every book about midlife was followed by the word crisis. And I actually don't feel like most of us go through a midlife crisis, but we do go through um, a midlife sort of awakening, you know? And um, so the book is called Midlife Wisdoms uh, Surviving and Thriving in Midlife. And the whole idea is that um, I think midlife is our best life because at midlife, well, you have enough wisdom to know what not to spend your energy and time on. Yeah, we've learned, is. We've learned. okay, I can see this for what it is. This is a temporary thing. I'm not going to get excited. You're not making a, a lot of impromptu, um, off-the-cuff decisions in midlife. You because you, you've you've made so many decisions that were wrong like that in the past. So you're able to sort of sit back and and do a quick pro con list and make better informed decisions. I also think in midlife we have more disposable income. We know ourselves so much better than we did when we were twenty. Heck, I was clueless at twenty, you know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I think it's the best time to, 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 take stock. I also think at midlife, we're finally reconciling some of our childhood stuff. Like we're finally forgiving ourselves for all the stupid public humiliating things we did in high school that we would cringe at now. <laughs> right. But we're forgiving ourselves for that. We're, uh, it, people stop calling us whatever nickname they called us in high school, right We're, we're sort of over ourselves. Um, we have forgiven ourselves, and and I think in midlife finally we can start to forgive other people. Um, and I don't know about men, but women in particular are phenomenal at remembering the hurts from the girl in third grade who pulled our hair yeah, who don't like her, right <laughs> I don't know why God has given women this long memory for things like this, but I can't remember what I just did with my cell phone. Uh, (laughs) But um, we we remember these hurts, and the problem with that is then those hurts build up, and then we start to build walls, or we start to distrust. And I think finally at midlife, we can sort of laugh at ourselves and say, Mm -hmm. oh, my, I spent so much so many hours of my life worrying what other people thought, what I looked like, what when in, in actuality they aren't even thinking about me, they're thinking about what they're wearing and what they look like and what their own life, right? So and so I think at midlife you can finally sort of wake up and go, I don't have any energy for that sort of childhood drama. And so we forgive ourselves, we forgive others, and it opens up sort of this lane of freedom where we can walk into the second half of our life with a lot, a lot more um, peace and um, a lot more uh, love for other people, compassion for other people, and and so I think midlife is really our best life. Um, just from a from a relational standpoint, I think I I think I was like forty eight when I finally felt like an adult, you know. <laughs> it's, it's it. I still feel much younger than I actually am. So See, okay.
0: the, the, the only, the only thing I would add, I would add to that list. Cause I think you're spot on with everything else is speaking for myself is I've learned the power of no. Cause when yeah. when, I, when I was younger, whatever people needed, I was all over it, all over it. And, uh, you know, people that listen to, to the show, they know I've told the story a th- thousand times, so I'm not going to go fully into it. But I donated a kidney to my sister in 2011. Mm-hmm. And throughout that process, for, for whatever reason, like I felt my mortality. Like I just started just started questioning. It's like, I get it. People can live with one, but we're born with two. <laughs> so wherever, wherever people think we came from, thought it was a good idea that we have two of those. Right. Like, and, I, and I'm giving away one and kidney problems runs in the family. You know, so so I just I just felt it, and I was like, you know, I was like, I'm gonna I'm not gonna do anything I don't want to do ever again. I'm like I'm I'm not going to. He's like Rob, you want to come out? No, I don't. He's <laughs> like Rob, you want to do this? No, I don't. Like I've been I've been saying no to almost every everything, and it's to the point where people know now. <laughs> so so like people just just know that it's a harsh possibility. He's going to he's going to say no. Like I had I had a hike a hike plan. And my parents had switched the date of our family reunion. And I was like, okay. I said, I'll come, but I'm not coming Saturday. Like, I'll I'll show up on Sunday. And my siblings and my cousins, they're all texting me and messaging me. Like, you're not going to be there Saturday? I'm like, I will be there Sunday. (laughs) They're like, well, we're leaving Sunday. Okay, well, if I don't see you, I don't see you. I don't what to tell you. (laughs) I was like, but I'm not moving my my plans. Like, I will see you guys on Sunday. And it just just felt very liberating because – when people do things out of obligation, uh-huh. even even though you can go and have a good time, a little bit inside you got some resentment because yeah. you really don't want to be there. So I think one of the most freeing things that I've done because this was 38 w- when I when I gave the kidney. I'm 47 now, mm-hmm. and but it was just in that moment where I was like, no, like I I need to prioritize me, <laughs> like me and my children's life, if I'm not doing something for them, I'm doing something for me with my free time. Obviously, I do things like this for everyone else, you yeah. know, like being a speaker and a motivator and a podcast host. So like obviously, that stuff is leaving my stamp on the world. But when it comes to like my personal space, I'm prioritizing myself here.
1: Well, boundaries are everything, and if if you're willing to give up your personal boundaries for everyone else's pleasure, then That's a that's a that's mixed up. So I applaud your your boundaries, and I think it's that feeling feeling obligations is oh that could be a whole separate podcast, but this (laughs) is the focus. But I'm I'm in concurrence that I do less out of obligation now, Um, and my choice to leave my job was out of you know commitment to myself because I had given everything to that job, and so I think it's just one small way that that I'm doing what, what you're doing.
0: Awesome. All right. So it's uh, just about time. So give us some final thoughts.
1: Well, I would encourage everyone to sort of flex their creative muscle the same way they might, their, their actual muscles. I think creativity is something that everyone has, even though we might deny it. Um, and I think most people have not come into their own creative potential. And I think creativity is the place where the best problems are solved, uh, the best solutions come about, and where we can find some personal, um, some personal freedom. I think the arts and crafts movement exploded over COVID because people were at home, and they took up a lot of new hobbies. And so I'm finding uh, people have told me, "Oh yeah, I just learned to play the guitar," and and so I would encourage everyone to have a creative pursuit, whether you feel it's it's something you need to do or not. I know a lot of people that have nothing to do with the creative realm, but I would suggest that there's something for everyone there. I also think that midlife is a great time for creativity because we are, our bodies are changing. Our minds are changing. Um, Our ideas about what is important is changing rapidly in midlife. Yes, Uh, We probably have less days left than we've already lived in midlife. And so when you start to think about ticking down, well, what do you want to leave? You know, what do you want to leave with the world? We all want to leave some sort of legacy, some sort of imprint. So um, write that book, create that masterpiece, start that podcast, do something to sort of leave your, your imprint on the world. It's the best time of your life to do that. And, and don't let fear be the thing that drives you rather let it come out of where you know your god-given gifts are where where your you know sort of where your your gifts and your joy and your service to the world can sort of intersect.
0: And one last thing that I'll, I'll add onto that is being in the midlife as you see above us your true power lies in your story, mm-hmm. right? So if you've been been alive this long, you've experienced some stuff in your, in your day and there are so many people that tell me oh i don't have a story to tell like that that's that's nonsense like yeah. everybody does and like i said if you need help creating it reach out for help and let people help you create that story cuz from that process you're going to uncover your true gifts
1: it's it's true and 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 until you discover your true gifts you can't use them
0: exactly <laughs> it's so it's so true like even doing this this podcast. At uh, first, I was gonna do fitness, but like I didn't want to just talk about fitness. Like it was, it was never, it was never my goal to be the fitness guru, you know. And, and even with the whole start starting the gym, that was never the game plan. It was a hobby that blew up. <laughs> so right. So as I was going through the process, I was like, I've always wanted to be like like Les Brown level, like Eric Thomas level, you know, Dean Graziosi level, like of of a speaker. I want to be able to walk out to a stage and have 10,000 people there to hear my message. It's like, that's what my dream was. Yeah. And so I was like, I need, to, I need to take this in to create something that can appeal to the masses. And and it's so funny because people always think that that thing is external, but it's not. It's internal. It's like I took the process that I used to help people get in shape and I created a seven step process to help people get through whatever it is that they're going through in life. And then just recently I condensed it into four modules. And so within 15 minutes, I can help someone take something that they went through in their life and turn it into a powerful story within 15 minutes. And it's just the breakthroughs, the breakthroughs that people are having. It's insane. And I'm working with other speakers, people that have been doing this for decades and they're still overlooking some of the most powerful parts of their story, you know. Yeah. And, and and it's like, um, how come that's not in your speech? Right. <laughs> you, know? Right. you know. So so we go through and we kind of re retool it a, a a little bit. So like you like you can't be afraid to be vulnerable. Yeah, you know, you no, know, like you just can't be. So there was really no need to get vulnerable on this episode. But like when I have like grief experts on, and you know, people who talk talk like Friday were talking about picking up the pieces after divorce. So those things kind kind of get a little, little more heart heart uh, strings tugged. And like you no, know, there were times where myself and the guests have been in tears sharing our stories. Yeah. You know, but but that's the powerful part of it. Like no one's ever ever been on the stage and saw someone just so into their story that they get emotional. No one's ever booed them off stage. Right. <laughs> but, but yet right. people, people fear that emotion. Yeah. So I know I said final thoughts, but I, I just had to share. share All good. <laughs>
1: All
0: right. So how can people, people get, get in touch with you besides the website?
1: Yeah. Um. So email me Susan at a sharp com um go to my websites um a, a sharp and my art site susandsharp.com and i love emails i'd love to know um you know if my story resonates with you and and how i might help you or frankly how you might help me
0: <laughs> there it is <laughs> love it susan thank you very much this was a great conversation thank you and uh, so I this Saturday I'm actually starting my first all-star panel. You know, mm. so I'm I'm probably going to do them every other week, but I'm going to bring back six six of my guests mm-hmm. and we'll just have a round table discussion like th- for for that one I will give a central theme and then obviously I'll group the six people, you know, like if if we do something about losing a loved one, I'm going to pick the six people who talk mm-hmm. about losing loved ones, you know, or or their ther- therapists, you know. So, uh, and I, I already know who I would group you with just from today's okay. talk. So, just be on the lookout for for that. So, I mean, yours might be a couple months out because you're episode one fifty three. <laughs> so, sure, so, yeah, trying to get some of the peeps from 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 a year ago to, to come sure. back and check in with them. So, again, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank and, you. Uh, you have yourself a great day.
1: You as well.
0: Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. All right, so that was Susan, and if you tuned in late, make sure you go back and watch the entire thing. We talked about a wide variety of topics, and that's why I like the open the open format because you never really know where the conversation is going to go. So again, we still took in all of the main points that she wanted she wanted to get to, and I hope you really got a lot out of it because that's what we do here. Like we do this for you. So I'm actually going to be back at two o'clock today with a YouTube content creator and we're going to go through his story and after that i'll be back tomorrow with a radio host out of cleveland ohio i was on her show last month so i'm paying her forward she'll be on mine and then like i said friday we'll be talking about picking up the pieces after divorce so that's what this week looks for oh and the all-star panel is on saturday at 11 a.m so have yourselves a great day thanks for tuning in
1: You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind.